When two or three are gathered in my name, I will be in the midst of them. Please be seated. Bishop Anne preached from this pulpit yesterday, so I get to use her flowers. Imagine you are playing a board game with your favorite medieval alchemists, where each of you has a bag of potion ingredients. The gameplay involves reaching into that bag and pulling out an ingredient at random. Most things, you're building a potion here, most things that you take out will interact well with the other ingredients that you've already put in. And, and what happens is, remember this is a board game, you will get to advance two or five or maybe even 15 spaces on the board. So that has been a good turn. But the flip side is that there are a few things in that bag, cherry bombs, that if you reach out without realizing it and you pull out a cherry bomb, boom, your potion explodes and your turn is over. So the tension is, do I go for one more or not? You play a little bit of risk. This is an actual board game that I played this summer called The Quacks of Quedlinburg. Quacks meaning dodgy physicians rather than poultry. Now, I'll leave the strategy and the risk tolerance for another sermon and rather focus on the alchemy of what happens when diverse and distinct elements come together to form something greater than themselves. A quack uh, might have looked on his shelf and thrown everything that he had completely at random into this potion, and he might get lucky. What happens might be able to cure an illness or patch a hole, but he also could end up blowing his eyebrows off. But a true alchemist, someone who maybe knew what they were doing, would have instead taken a little bit more care for how to bring those elements together. Deeply aware that what, of what can be multiplied or created by that chemical reaction, but also respectful of what could explode as well. Now, hold that thought for just a moment. Let's talk for just a moment about what we call things of the same category when they come together. A bunch of geese is called a gaggle. Good, good. Boy, sleepy this morning. There's a lot of church yesterday, I realize. A handful of lions is called a pride, two for two. A posse of loitering crows, clearly up to no good, is called a murder. A murder of crows, correct, good. A group of Christians is called, that's good. I will also, church is good, I will also accept congregation. There we go, excellent, let's go with that. Congregation. Now, this word is not unique to us. But it does mean something particular. It, it is essentially a group of followers of Jesus who choose to be together, to worship, to pray, 
to sing, to support each other, to break bread, to serve the needy, and to speak out for justice. And we commit to doing this together. It can be, a congregation can be a static five people, or it can be an ever-changing 5,000 people. What makes this particular grouping special, at least when we're living up to our values, is our sense of being the body of Christ. Our sense of fidelity to one another. Our hopes for what can happen in this world when two or three or more are gathered together with hearts on fire. Christians are meant to be together. I know that's hard for the introverts among us, and I see you. But we are meant to all be together because Jesus said that something particular and special happens when we come together in faith. If we're following Jesus, if we're letting go our egos and our small selves so that we can together experience the greater life, then something special is happening, and that something is actually less kumbaya and more chemistry. It's sacred alchemy that has the power to transform the world. Scripture, though, is notably short on spells and potion recipes. There aren't a lot of if-then formulations. Which is why Jesus' words in Matthew really stand out to me. When two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Each time we come together, whether around the altar or whether we're on Zoom or in a boring committee meeting or, or gathering for coffee or coming together the, to grieve the loss of someone we love, or coming together to celebrate a joy, or even bearing witness in front of the state house. When that happens, we are suddenly so much more than the sum of our parts. Jesus has made a promise, and it's a promise that goes alongside every promise that he made, including sending us the Holy Spirit to be among us and raising us with him. Jesus is with us when we gather in his name. And what's more, Jesus is just as present in the small group as he is in the megachurch. Those of you here in the 1115, I'm sorry to say this, but Jesus is just as present at the 8 o'clock service when there are only 25 people. Jesus, two or three is an abundant plenty. It's a mighty number. It is abundantly enough. And here's the alchemy. George Buttrick writes that the two or three are not merely added. They multiply each other's faith. I'd argue that this kind of Christian togetherness, while vulnerable to all the risks and all the messiness that comes whenever humans gather, and there are many, this kind of faithful togetherness also carries with it in every moment the potential energy of grace. That isn't to say 
that we don't encounter God in our private prayers. But Buttrick says, our nature is inescapably social. So that private prayer without corporate prayer would be like a leaf withering without its tree. Christ came to create not a plurality of anchorites, but the beloved community. When two or three are gathered as the body of Christ, there is a channel to God which opens, which brings the faithfulness of both together to open up a pathway that wasn't there before. And when we do that, we are drawn into God's self-emptying, God's self-giving and unconditional love, and we become vessels of it. But wait, there's more. If two, or, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you. And then truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Did anybody kind of pick up on the promise there? If, if anything, if any two of you want the same thing, it will be given for you. Does that mean anything? Do you mean all I have to do is find someone in this gathering who wants exactly the same thing and then shazam, it's going to happen? This could be a revolution in what coffee hour could be. Because suddenly it's all about me finding the person who wants the same thing that I do. And then if you don't have what I want, I'm going to move right on. But you know, perhaps that's actually the point. That we become listeners. We become hardwired to listen for our siblings' deepest hopes. And when we do, we, we begin to lose our grip on our own wants and desires. And somewhere in that process, we begin to desire something that's a mystery even to us. When what we're doing is listening and opening our hearts and seeking the will and the desire of the other in this deeper desire to find God, we end up internalizing and becoming vessels for what God wants for the world. When two or three become vessels for what God wants, brilliant chemistry happens. I spent a lot of time this week, though, thinking about this phrase, whatever you bind or loose on earth will be bound or loosed in heaven. That's, that's pretty complicated. The, the two or three gathering together in Jesus' name, I, I think I get that. But, but the, where we are told when we bind something on earth, it is bound in heaven. That's a little bit harder to understand. But it does suggest to me that the potential from these chemical reactions when we come together, the potential for risk, but also for growth, are mighty indeed. It seems that the stakes are suddenly far greater. Jesus, to get there, had taken us through a kind of lab experiment where he's talking to, um, to all of us here in the Petri dish uh, of how to navigate conflict 
as a faithful community. Now, I know we all want to avoid conflict because it it makes us feel bad in all the ways. I realize that. But remember this. Chemistry doesn't happen without a catalyst. And conflict and change are actually powerful catalysts. There is grace even in the hard stuff. But here we have from Jesus uh, a four-step guide for managing conflict within our communities uh, and as a way of staying faithful and healthy. Has somebody wronged you, he asks? Well, don't triangulate. Don't tweet. Go straight to talk to them. It's amazing how well it works. But you know, sometimes it doesn't. We all know that. So if that happens, go to two or three siblings in Christ, wise, wise members of the congregation, collars not necessary. There, are, there is plenty of that wisdom among us. If that doesn't work, if you're still not getting where you need to go, gather a larger community. And then if that finally doesn't work, Sadly, be prepared to make a break if necessary. At every stage, we can bring this into our lives because at every stage, we are seeking reconciliation. We are hoping to recover the relationship. We're taking concerns straight to the source. We're building coalitions around truth. We are avoiding reckless excommunication. But we also know that sometimes enough is enough. But why was Jesus going through this little lesson? I mean, we know, we know there was conflict in the church. We've all had it ourselves. But I wonder if Jesus had a bigger reason here. Jesus was teaching how to be the body of Christ together. But it wasn't just so that they could all get along. It was because their alchemy of togetherness was preparing them for something far greater. To take what was happening to them out of the lab and into the world. If this, if this congregation is about being a place where that, those kind of wonderful grace-filled chemical reactions are happening, the idea isn't to keep it in here, but rather to become an agent of hope and healing for the whole world. Because as I heard this phrase, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, what came to the surface for me uh, was not the step-by-step of Christian reconciliation uh, when someone has wronged you, but rather a haunting image from this past summer, from one of the films uh, that was talked about quite a bit, from the movie Oppenheimer, which tells the story of a master alchemist well, theoretical physicist who harnessed the elements to create a weapon so destructive that heaven and earth seemed to collapse in on one another when it was detonated. Now, if you have a keen sense of the spiritual realm, and I know many of you do, It may often feel like a place of refreshment or escape where we are buffered from the things that get bound and loosened on earth 
where we're protected from that or maybe even a kind of parallel existence, but it isn't really. Our spiritual lives and our earthly lives are deeply woven together. And it would be a cruel and unreal place, this spiritual realm, if it were unaffected by something which in an instant caused so much suffering and changed human life so profoundly and so quickly. That which is loosed on earth touches us where we touch the eternal, where pain and sadness is forced upon living bodies and quickened souls. There is an alchemy in this world that unleashes something very different from the grace and love of God. We must acknowledge that. But as followers of Jesus, we know that we have a potential energy ourselves. And it is one that has a far greater power than that of violence or destruction. And that power is love. Jesus has given a gift to this world. And that gift is us. I don't just mean us individually. I mean this world needs the divine alchemy that comes about when two or three or 300 of us are gathered as the body of Christ. Where our faith is multiplied. Where we challenge each other but also love one another unconditionally. Where a channel between God and this world opens up so that we can become vessels of that same healing grace. When two or three are gathered in my name, I will be in the midst of them. Whatever those two or three ask, I will give. Whatever you bind on earth, will be bound in heaven. When we really think about how much energy is right there for us to receive and harness the potential grace, when we as followers of Jesus gather together, we might want to wear safety goggles. But then again, maybe safety isn't our concern because God is calling us not to make ourselves safe but rather to become catalysts, chemical agents, if you will, that make our world more loving, more humane, more filled with the grace and love of our Creator. Amen.